Welcome to Tabletop. My name is Nick, and I think that fudging dice rolls is totally okay. Hey, it's me, Franco, and rolling for initiative sucks. I'm Daniel, and I think you should modify your first level characters as much as you want. And I'm Shade, and if your TTRPG hasn't evolved into a LARP, you've done it wrong. And we all host Tabletop, a TTRPG podcast about all things games and storytelling. And sometimes we have game designers, professional researchers, and even the occasional owlbear. If this interests you, listen to Tabletop every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Tabletop is a proud member of the Helios Network. In this episode of Negative Modifier, we'll be playing Sumbrum, which is a game set in a dark, bleak, and mysterious fantasy world. This game may include topics or events that some listeners may find uncomfortable or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, it's Charlie, Negative Modifier's Game Master. First off, thank you for giving us a listen. As always, expect something horrible to happen to the players. If you're a fan, support us by leaving a review on iTunes. If you hate the show, consider doing it anyway and enjoying the fact that you've inflicted us on someone else. For the most up-to-date news on the podcast, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And with that... Alright, so we're going to do another kind of post-mortem, post-show, lower-long, whatever the right phrase is. This time for Sumbaroom. Sumbaroom. I really do apologize. I could not consistently pronounce that name correctly, but yeah. So obviously it's me, Charlie, the game master, and no weird extra names this time. But I'm joined this time by Stout, Scotsmer, and Gorin for this whole thing. You guys can use your real names if you want to. That's totally up to you. We can keep using game names if we want those as well. Stout will go by Stout. <laughs> yeah, I can be Scotsmer. It's scust. Yes, I never pronounced that name correct the entire time, and I fully admit to this fact. Scustmer. Yes. It's Scustmer's own Scustmer. fault, though. So. <laughs> Why is it Scustmer's own fault? I think you're insensitive to barbarian. I think, like, the day after you came up with that name, I read something that basically was like, we get the idea of trying to make your character have a unique name. For the love of God, make it something that everyone else can pronounce. I'm like, huh. This feels timely and oddly specific, but we're not here to talk about your weird choices and character names. We're here to talk about Sumbaroom, a game that we all kind of went into this somewhat blind. I know the lore of the game pretty well. I've messed around with it some. I'm playing in my own game, or a different game that I'm not running, obviously, so I have a bit of experience with it. I sadly do not know as much about this game as Delta Green and Lovecraftian stuff from like a lore perspective, but hopefully I can answer some of your questions, I guess, that are lingering about the larger Sumbaroom-verse, I guess. Um, also, unlike Delta Green, it's not distinctly vague and being like middle fingers in the air. We're not going to define this stuff for you because that's the point of our setting. Uh, so we can also kind of uh, walk our way through the campaign if people want. Um, any guys burning questions you guys want to get out of the way right off the bat? What was going to happen if I had put the helmet on? All right, so it is possible for characters to become abominations. And when player <laughs> characters become abominations, bad things happen. This is actually a great place to start. So the whole idea I was playing with is, I'm not sure where I picked up this legend from, but there's some set of folks tales I was reading, and like it's a little bit inspired actually by fucking, of all games, Destiny. Like they have The most recent one of the dungeons had a um, the crown of star. The whole idea that there was this crown that you put on your head and it led an outside influence into your brain, essentially. It kind of forever changed you and mutated you. So the idea behind the crown was the guy you killed that was wearing the crown. So the lore that you could not have found because Sumbarum, despite being more surface level, is still deliberately kind of mysterious and weird. 
was the whole idea that, like many of the other weird things out in Davakar, there's just this feasting hall, and there was this um, this crown that maybe didn't even always have the deer skull attached to it, but you put this thing on, and you became the lord of the feast. And the lord of the feast was the guy on the throne, and the guy is stuck there, basically, until someone comes and tries to rob the horde. And then they activate, and if you're lucky, you kill them, and if you're dumb enough to put it on, then you become the new lord of the feast of that. So it's a cycle kind of thing. And because this didn't happen during the campaign, assumably someone's going to put that thing on again, and then they will become the new Lord of the Feast. They will rapidly transform into the same abomination that you all fought, maybe with some slight differences, but they're eventually going to go back there. The helm is, the, the, not the helm, the, the crown is going to find its way back to the feasting hall eventually. It does have maybe not a full mind of its own, but it wants its, it wants to be there kind of thing. So it will hypothetically hijack someone, turn them into an abomination as a new host, essentially, and take them back there. The Lord of the Feast is different every time. Like, I was kind of playing around with the idea that you had ritual sacrifice, and, like, whatever this was initially, the whole idea was you'd have these big feasts, and you would sacrifice someone to be the new Lord of the Feast every time kind of thing, which goes mm. along with some of the weird kind of dark lore Simbarim plays around with, and what the Simbar Empire maybe wasn't about, or maybe was about. One of the things we didn't kind of touch on a bunch when we dove into this was the whole weird role of sorcerers within the setting, and it was kind of fun having a sorcerer. We could kind of tease some of that stuff out, but like they also kind of have a kill-on-sight death warrant in society, which again goes back to the you guys made great characters that were totally in prison for minor reasons, but would totally be in prison for a whole myriad of reasons. So yeah, that's put the helm on, put the put the crown on. Turn into an abomination, a much more powerful abomination because you're freshly turned. But yeah, no, like the, putting on the crown was bad. So was the wicker uh, beast like different from the Lord of the Feast? It seemed like they were kind of two entities. Yeah, I, so I think of the, the Lord of the Feast is whatever the wicker thing is. This is avatar champion, whatever the phrase is like. The feasting hall is for the wicker thing. Like it is, it's in sacrifice to that god kind of thing. The I like to think of the kind of the Lord of the Feast as that thing's like companion almost. It keeps its company, and like when you were trying to leave with the crown, that's when it activated kind of thing. It needs, it, it wants to have a Lord of the Feast. It needs someone to watch over its hall for it kind of thing. So that's the trade off. If that makes any sense, yeah. It's I, I think of it more. The Lord of the Feast is the extension of what that thing is but yeah they are separate entities like it's it's also much more kind of godly and alien and abstract like it's not really capable of the concept of feasting but it does enjoy sacrifice like that's how things feasting is yeah i was curious about the trees with the faces how oh, was that was there something behind that no nah, i i wanted to give you kind of like davakar is an inherently haunted and terrible place but there are kind of things of beauty in it like it's it's a weird balance when it comes to Davakar. You have to kind of strike this balancing point where it is, at the end of the day, just a big spooky forest in the way that every big spooky forest is just a big spooky forest. And there's lots of really cool art for the game that shows like these giant carved stone thing, like these giant kind of star stone faces. And I thought the idea of kind of pulling something from Game of Thrones with like the were the weird woods or whatever they're called, and doing something like that in the setting would make it would be kind of a fun, like, hey, you have this arguably an in-between point kind of a spot to rest up before you go into the final kind of set of 
events that will lead to the end of this. And it's weird. It's kind of, it's dangerous, but like not actually dangerous. Like it has a, it's off putting in a way that, and you guys played along with that great where it's like, okay, there's something up here, but nothing bad is happening. And I think like something you guys picked up on towards the end was the whole idea that there is a path from where you started off to the feasting hall. Like there is something that, in theory, you are not the only people to have taken that route ever, kind of thing. Like that used to be a real route people took to get there because that's why the invitations existed. Like they probably didn't have to use the system that is newer to go, kind of thing. That there was a path that could be followed way the hell back when, but it's long grown over. And that yeah, you'd, you'd pass those trees whenever you were going, kind of thing. This is kind of like, oh, it's scenery. It's someone carved these at some point. And now that we don't know what they're here for, they're just kind of weird and there. When we so, went to the tower and we had the invitation and put it in the, the slot, I guess, and it sort of showed us the way. If we had other invitations or other objects, would it have shown us other paths to take to go to other places? Uh, what else would you think of to put in there, I guess? Like um, other invitations to go other places, hypothetically? Other, like, the whole idea was... Yeah, like, things- would it be something else that would fit in the slot that might have been sort of a wayfinder to get to another location in Davakar somehow. Hypothetically, or... yeah. I didn't, when I wrote that thing, it was more just kind of a, again, Davakar has this kind of weird, dark druid vibe going on, so having mm. something like that I felt would be appropriate. Like, the whole idea was also that, like, it only works at sundown. The feasting hours. Like, I, the idea, I kind of, the story I had in the back of my brain of what this place was, or what this place is, or kind of why it exists was you'd have people that would go along this path or kind of similar paths to this thing. And at the feasting hour, kind of towards sundown, they would light up and show the path to go down. And then you would just go to the feasting hall. That's also why you got the weird like audio feedback stuff that happened where you could hear the echoes of the feast happening off the distance kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like hypothetically to go, like, oh, that's where we're supposed to go. We've hung out here for a couple of day- a couple of hours. We've like met each other. Maybe we've had some drinks, et cetera, et cetera. Oh no, now it's time to go kind of thing. Like it was, in the weirdest way possible, think of it kind of like a, um, what are they called? The hostesses at restaurants or something? Like, it's there to tell you, oh, it's time for the feast. You can show up early, sense, obviously, yeah. but, yeah. It's kind of a, a kind of an unnecessarily, but, like, still within theme, obscure idea of, like, oh, there's this thing. Like, this is, like, the Lord of the Feast wasn't always something terrible, or maybe it was, but the people that were going to it maybe didn't think of it as terrible. Like the Aztecs didn't think of themselves as terrible for doing human sacrifices. Same vibe for Simbrome occasionally. Okay, so I'm sorry if you already covered this. Um, uh, how much of the the feast you said it came from a a folk tale, like mythology that you're reading? Not um, that's not something you derived from the actual Simbrome texts. Not the text itself. So uh, it's a combination of in one of the books. There is a giant wicker person with a deer head. I thought that, and I thought Simbrum has some unbelievably cool imagery and arts kicking around in the book. Like, it's one of the most gorgeous set of books I've ever kind of flipped through recently in Free League in general. Just has really pretty looking books. And that stuck with me. And there's a bunch of, like, I like Celtic and Viking folklore and stuff. And there's a bunch of stories that kind of revolve around cursed feasting halls and stuff like that, where it's, the hall remains and kind of what the feasting hall was there to do remains or placate or whatever the right phrase is, but like bad, the, the, the bad juju remains at the, all the like, only thing that's left of it. Like the, the place is kept aloft by whatever lives there in the kind of metaphorical ghosty sense. 
but at the same time, like it's the in Simba Room, it's very real. Ghosts are real, monsters are real, gods are just out in the forest kind of thing. At the same time, though, too, one of the things people pull from in the Simba Room community are the kind of Celtic stories. Again, the game is you know, like Scandinavian in origin kind of things. So it's definitely dipping into the Viking, the Celtic kind of storytelling tradition of all that stuff, the kind of interpretation of gods. And if we delve into kind of more of the other stuff of the game, it's got kind of a tone about not directly Christianity, but kind of sun-worshipping Christianity coming in and paving over the barbarian religion and kind of thinking it's the right thing and having a whole kind of corruption subplot in the world and stuff like that. Like, it's in one of the main campaigns, there's a guy going around basically being like, okay, cool, we have this religion that defeated the undead armies. That's great. What if we weren't totalitarian assholes about it? And he's in prison because of it. Okay. So, uh, so, so you, you were inspired by the image, but you, you, you said that you derived a lot of it from a, yeah. And I, I read some of the stuff like it's, it, I definitely tried to kind of, it's what we're doing. Simbrim is a game that thrives off an extensive amount of lore knowledge and expecting anyone, let alone our listeners or you guys to know that going in. is just unfair. I think it's like the, the main core rule book has. I want to say close to a hundred pages of lore before you actually ever get to the rules. Like we, uh, the quick start guides, like what a hundred pages long or something. Then the first half of it's all rule is all lore as well. Uh, it was a long quick start, yeah. uh, especially as far as quick starts go. Um, I guess my, uh, the, the question I was going, and you're right, there's a ton of lore and I tried to read some of it, but uh, before, you know, before we started and I got little bits and pieces here and a lot of it's cool. I mean, yeah. the, like we talked I'm about not the, saying the it's bad queen. lore by any measure. It's more just a lot of the kind of the more traditional stuff relies very heavily on barbarian players, knowing the inner workings of the various clans and the Ambrian players kind of understanding the bizarre socioeconomic aspects of Ambria and how those interplay with each other and the weirder stuff around Thistlehold. The locations are except for Iron Heat Trail, um, sorry, Iron Hill, Farm are all pulled from the kind of existing stuff. Like Thistlehold is a very real central stuff too, with the whole idea of Ambrian countryside. Also, very much pulled from other adventures and stuff like that. Like it, it's one of those ones where kind of the idea is to introduce not only you guys to Simbaroom, but also anyone who chooses to listen to it to Simbaroom because they're definitely not going to know to read up on the five hundred page plus backstories of all the various going ons of Simbaroom that a lot of the other stuff relies heavily on you knowing. It's it's weird. I, I appreciate the game for going. We have a ton of lore for you to learn, and we expect you to learn it. But I also think it's, again, the quick start is huge because it outlines kind of the whole history of events up to a certain point where it's like, that's a lot of stuff you don't need to know to jump into a game. And even the kind of like the the quintessential, oh, here's the first thing we recommend most people play, still kind of relies on people knowing a little more lore than I thought was fair for you guys to know going in. Sure. So I guess not knowing as much lore, I mean, we, we get a good sense of Avatar and everything. It's, it's certainly, it's, it's a cool world with a lot of stuff developed, not nearly as many, uh, you know, not nearly as much fleshed out as like, you know, forgotten realms where you need yeah. a PhD in the damn thing to be able to run it effectively. Um, but my question is, how much of our the things that we how, how many of the things that we encountered were things that you took out of the Simbarum text, and how many were just things that you came up with? Monster wise, um, everything. Everything which? 
Um, all the spider stuff, the spider guy, all the abominations, they're all stuff I pulled from various things in Simbaroom. The feasting hall itself, that was a thing I came up with, but the idea of what it was, that was straight from the books kind of thing. That's a thing that came from that. The Thistle Hold, obviously, a very real thing. Uh, I'd say it's like 75% lore references and stuff I pulled from there, and the remaining 25% is more just how it got stitched together. Is the Silk Court uh, something that you stitched together, or is that something from the, the books? Is that a pun? Uh, it was a, a bad <laughs> pun at best. Uh, the answer is yes. So there is in Simbarum a spider king, and it is one of the kind of weird humanoid spiders. And it had a whole kingdom throughout the depths of Davakar. Going into the lore of the Spider King was way it was way more time and kind of complicated than just throwing Spider Guy in a town I called the Silk Court. And I think like it's yeah it, again like you guys got the kind of like once you were there you understood what the Silk Court was with the oh shit this is a town of spiders maybe it's always been a town of spiders but also maybe it's not there's a spider person here. Yeah, it's a lot of it's kind of re I guess re kind of using the basis of some of the Symbarum lore in a way that doesn't require as much of a lengthy explanation of like, oh, and here's the spider court, which probably Goran would know about, but Stout wouldn't wouldn't, but uh, maybe Skotsmer would, but Skitsmer, sorry. Uh, yeah, disgust. it's Scus. Like Skutsmer. like disgust. Scust. Scutsmer would yeah, it's and that's one of the cool things about Davakar too is the fact that there's a lot of rumors in society about it, but it's not really nailed down in any way, shape, or form. Like the core rule book talks about how there may or may not be a, a essentially like a the equivalent of like a fighting monk monastery off in the forest. That is confirmed in the advanced player guide because you can play as one of them. But like it's very much brushed off as like, yeah, it's crazy. No one lives out in the woods that deep. There's an amorphosis to the space too. Let's do some fun stuff. That kind of answer your question. Yeah, I was just wondering. Um, yeah, if that, if that was anything. But the the name Silk Court that was yours, but yeah. there is okay. Interesting. As an arachnophobe, I was disappointed that we got overwhelmed by spiders before we could kill the Spider Man. That was a. Glaring oversight on our party's part. I, 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 I felt so bad after that one, too. I'm like, oh, right. People are afraid of spiders. I should have been like, yo, is an arachnophobic? Okay, cool. You okay if I throw spiders at you? Everyone seemed to be okay with it. Oh, yeah, it was fine. It's just more of I wanted to kill the spiders because then they wouldn't torment me in my dreams. <laughs> and I... But when we killed the Spider King, all all of them shrieked and started running after us. I'm kind of glad we took out the small one first. Yeah, that was that was not cool. But I mean, I I also have arachnophobia, and like I just, um, yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, I I I'm fine facing them in a role playing game. I can't see them. Like I don't. I still have not watched the second Harry Potter movie all the way through because I can't watch that scene. Um, but like. Uh, uh, yeah, it's fine in a role playing game. I, I think I don't know. But oh, no, no, as gross. a as a ongoing courtesy the arachnophobic amongst us, I never describe spiders in too much detail whenever I use them because you just never know. So it's never something I think to ask about till after the fact. And I've definitely, as a GM, had some moments where like, I I bring up giant spiders and someone goes white at the table, and I'm like, did I say spiders? I meant scorpions. Is that better? <laughs> Slightly. 
I mean, I, I don't know what I'd rather. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess I hate spiders more than scorpions. But yeah, that seems a, to be a, a northerner. Thing. I never, I never think about scorpions. I guess I would rather encounter a spider than a scorpion, as spiders don't have the, 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 the poison tail. Yeah. Like I'd rather, I, I'd rather take my chances. I mean, anytime I encounter a spider, I, I want to have my boots on, and I want it to be smaller than my boot. Um, those are kind of my my rules by which I'll interact with spiders. Sure. <laughs> well, between the quick start and our game, I mean, I feel like I'm walking away with a pretty good elementary grasp of this world. Yeah, and that that was always the goal of it. Like it's it's designed to be kind of more of a mechanics and themes and like world overview maybe not like the deep dive of the lore but we got into some of it too like you got not you got yeah kind of the surface level of this will hold you at the surface level of ambria like the the iron hill farm is totally something that would exist within the world of ambria kind of thing like given its ongoing corruption problems and its need for cheap labor yeah it's it's a whole thing in that setting can we talk about the mechanics a little yeah absolutely it is actually why I got drawn to the game first. Like the, I, I've been looking at Symbarum for years going, okay, cool, it's a dark fantasy game. And then someone finally was like, yo, here's the actual mechanics for it. And I started flipping through it, and I'm like, okay, these are actually really cool. You can build a really interesting character with how variable the system is set up. And now we're here kind of thing. Like I, I'm one of the weird people that actually thought the system and the mechanics were cool before I thought the world were cool, which makes me an oddity within the community for the game, I guess. People were shocked when I was like, yeah, so I like the system. I like the system. Why? It's super customizable, kind of like 3.5 D&D was. Not quite, but also, there's no, like, bad abilities to spec into. Everything has a purpose, and you can do some real, like, it's got that Delta Green streamlineness where it's a pass-fail, mm-hmm. only a couple things to care about, but everything kind of spills those things, but at the same time, it's like, you can build some real weird characters if you want that are effective because there's no bad abilities to spec into. There's better abilities, but also, like, Stout did, what, 26 damage at one point between Robust, Iron Will, and Witch Hammer? Yeah, yeah. And that's just cool! Yeah, as we were playing, I got the sense that I really gave my my character a flaw in being very low. And so I was thinking, there <laughs> probably were going to be required some interesting advancements to make up for that. Yeah. That all worked out, though. My sense of the the character creation, um, like you said, is very customizable, but there was something very satisfying in its modularity. Yeah. Yeah, modular is a good word. Yeah, because you you don't have to go fully into one class. You can take a little bit of this class, and it feels very balanced, and then you have everything having three levels. The novice adept and expert is that it yeah and and like there, there's a logic there and it just it that was it was yeah all of the all of the available options were a lot of fun it's hard well, to make and, the choices but it well, and like and for some of the character. stuff the difference between like um novice and adept was a like was like night and day it's like okay this lets you do this stuff that's cool the next level up of that's for you're actually using this it's like holy shit that's a big change to how my character works like uh uh schizmer you had the whole like you changed to change on how you were uh, ranged attacks halfway through our campaign because you're like, okay, cool. I've leveled up to this now, so I can now use my what was it? Um, 
vigilant. Vigilant for almost everything. Yep, I built everything on vigilant. Yeah, with the sixth sense ability. No, like guys, and messing around with it from a player standpoint, just kind of theory crafting characters. I like the fact where you can, unlike a lot of other games, you can actually have a dump stat, but at the same time, given the whole kind of roll under system of the game, your dump stat might still work. Like you can still do stuff with it. Won't be your best stat, but really can build the character you want. And what was the minimum you had to have in everything? Was it five? Five, yeah, which still leaves you up technically a one quarter chance that you might yeah, pass stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's weird. Part of me does wonder if you just like, I'm not sure the math quite works up. If you did like everything at the same base level, how viable would the character be? Obviously, it wouldn't be like a rock star, but I could imagine a world where like that was what, eight skills? I put tens at everything or something. And it still would be like, no, you have a 50% chance to do anything in this goddamn game. Yeah. It's not bad odds. Yeah, it did definitely, though, feel like. I, I definitely didn't feel overpowered. I definitely like I, I put a lot of points into vigilant, and because of that, I really felt my other stats were weak. Um, and I think that that more so points to the the balance of the game. Um, I kind of wish I had shifted things into other stats, but it really it, it doesn't let you go too extreme in any any direction. Really, yeah, I don't think the veterans of the game will decry. There's a couple abilities that stack in very powerful ways. Uh, the Theurgy stuff, the Roji, however you pronounce it, can get really powerful towards the end, but also I, I don't know, like I think it's one of those ones where there's plenty of ways of countering that stuff, there's also just kind of enemy encounters you can set up that are much harder. Yeah, I think like one of the things you guys ran into was the fact that recovering health in that game is not super easy, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just don't shake it off the way you do in other games. Like it's, once you take that damage, it's around for a while, and like while you have pretty good armor and pretty good at dodging abilities, stuff hits. It stacks up pretty quickly. I found that the death sequence stuff was forgiving, though, too. It kind of balanced it out for me. Yeah, I, it's... I've played a couple of games that have instant death, which I don't mind. I've played a couple of games that have like a tap, like a timeout mechanic, essentially. I think the idea of like, no, you can technically stay at death's door forever, just kind of pop up, uh, back up. Like you have to be really unlucky, just insta die. I think it's a good thing, especially given kind of the brutality levels of the combat. I mean, how many did you have to fail three throws? Yeah, or if you had twenty on the death save stuff, you just die instantly, but. Just roll twenty at that point. No, oh, so I guess there is a five percent chance that you'll just die immediately. No, just an absolute twenty. Like it's a one. Uh, I guess that's why it's a five percent chance. I guess technically, yeah. Uh, yeah. The math it's so easy. Yeah, it's the same chance of just popping back up to life. With I think it's what one d four health back. If you roll a one, you just yeah. recover. I mean, one d four health. Is there any more burning questions before we have to close this one out or no? We also can you can also can check out we can talk more if people want. I'm not sure how have how many questions people had post all this. Well, it gets a gold star for me. I liked it. I thought I like the simple systems. Yeah. This, it seemed complicated, I think, at first when we were first making the characters, but once we started rolling just like a couple rounds, it's like, oh, this is really pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's very alien having just me throw modifiers at you. Okay, cool. What's the like do this? Why? Well, that's it's it's bad at dodging. Oh, that makes sense, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
it makes the prep side of things really easy because you can go like, okay, cool, like this is you can very much in your mind's eye say, okay, there, yeah, yeah, this thing hits like a truck, but it's got really bad health and it does not dodge well, or it's got a lot of armor attached onto it, so it's going to take a lot of damage kind of over time, but more of an endurance fighter as opposed to just a straight kind of brawler at that point. I guess any final thoughts on Simbaroom or nah? I, I agree. It was a, it was a lot of fun. I really hope we can continue with our because our characters are all still alive, and I mean we could easily do another story. I'd love to uh, play around a little bit more in that world and with, yeah. with those characters. So I I yeah, and like I said, the system really uh, elegant and just uh, like I said, the character building experience was very satisfying. That's how yeah. I, I kept thinking about it. No, and it stays with you too. Like when you, I, I found that now that I'm playing it more and I've messed around with it some, or I'm playing with other stuff, I'm like, why isn't this just X? Like, this is, it's so much easier to do this than go through, like, okay, here's the modifier and here's the modifier and here's the dice roll that goes along with that. And it's like, or you could just roll a die once. Well, that's it, I guess, for our kind of little post thing on Sumbrum. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, probably more Sumbrum in the future, some way down the line. But yeah, thanks for listening. Yeah.